Hello, welcome to Inside the Artist Shanty. Welcome to the program that interviews artists of all mediums and standings, from writers to actors, painters to musicians. We explore their craft, passions, struggles, successes, and what keeps them going, doing what they love. My name is Tim Drudge, and I'll be your host this week, Inside the Artist's Shanty. Today we're sitting down to have a conversation with actor, producer, voiceover artist, and man about town, Michael Lamport. Michael, how are you? I am absolutely fine. Excellent. <clears throat> Good to hear. Thank you for inviting me into your home. No, thanks for coming in. This is great. All right. Well, let me tell you, uh, let me tell you dear listener, a little bit about uh, who we're going to be talking to today. Uh, originally from England, Michael has carved out a career uh, in Toronto, Canada, but dipping his toe uh, into just about every aspect of film and television production at one point or another. Uh, Michael is currently co-owner of Lamport Shepherd Entertainment uh, uh, and is uh, the producer and narrator of Rescue Mediums, which was seen in 28 countries around the world before its long run ended back in 2011. Uh, he's wearing a Rescue Mediums T-shirt for the uh, for the. Uh, yeah, you can't you, you you can't see that. It's podcaster. a video. It's not a video podcast yet, but maybe I'll start a GoFundMe or something. Uh, it's currently on Netflix, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, uh, two of the seasons got picked up by Netflix. Awesome. Which, which is a good. I'm not going to say it's a bad blessing at all because Netflix is Netflix and 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 they're great. But um, what your listeners may not know is that. Uh, Netflix is not really a big payer of uh, small shows. Like well, neither, they neither, are was, no, neither was Spotify, for example. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, on the music side. But, I mean, they, yeah, I mean, Netflix will spend $160 million on a series like The Crown, um, but uh, they spend way, way less than that. And when they acquire your show, they only acquire it for six months at a time. Um, and they won't tell you what the ratings are. Mm -hmm. If the ratings are good, then they might acquire more. But they, they are really a close-neck community. That's interesting. We'll talk more about Netflix later. Okay. Uh, Michael has also produced programming for Discovery Channel USA, mm -hmm. uh, the series Curious and Unusual Deaths for Discovery Channel Canada, and the Crime and Investigation Channel in the UK. Michael was also the producer and host of the travel series Sweet and Simple that aired on networks in Canada and the US. Uh, his documentary film Offstage, which yep. followed the trials and tribulations of uh, residents of a small town as they put on a Christmas stage production, won a Gold Hugo at the Ch Chicago International TV Festival, was nominated for uh, others as well. Uh, he's also executive produced the A&E documentary The Disciples, produced the film The Right to Play for CBC. Uh, you've been a script consultant and directing consultant for a series called Mock Docs on CBC. Yeah. And if you recognize his voice, uh, maybe you have kids and you've uh, watched cartoons before because uh, he's the voice of a whole yaffle of uh, uh, characters. Uh, Life's a Zoo TV, The Wombles, Bob and Margaret, which I remember, uh, Ace Lightning, Upstairs, Downstairs, Bears and Maggie, The Ferocious Beast. His acting credits include guest starring in many stage productions and TV series and starring in the eight-hour miniseries The Adventures of Smoke Bellew, which aired in Canada, the USA, and France. Wow, you make me sound like I've actually had a career. And we're done, ladies and gentlemen. That's it. Okay. Well, listen, again, I really appreciate you taking the time, Michael, to see me today, especially in your lovely home. Uh, now, in this program, in the past, to name a few, we've had actors, musicians, mm -hmm. we've had a chef, fashion designer, a couple of puppeteers, writers, and the like, talk about their art. Now, a TV producer is something new for us in this series of conversations. Now, now, now 
as that long list that we just covered off yeah. sort of speaks to, you're just, uh, you're, you do a lot of things, but you probably self-identify most as a producer, right? I, yeah, I, I, I would say I do currently, although I, I still got my, uh, my fingers in, in, in the acting pie. Well, let me ask you this. Do you consider producing for TV and art? And if yes, why? <laughs> I do think it's an art because uh, to produce TV, you have to have a vision. And I think art is all about vision. And uh, you, you, you have to see the end game of whatever you're doing. A, a, a typical TV show has beginning, middle, and an end. Um, sort of books, you know. So it, it is an art, but it's an art that is plagued with, um, I'm going to say desperation, because it's not just an art. You've got to deal with the bank. You've got to deal with lawyers. <laughs> you've got to deal with accountants. You've got to deal with the government to try to get your 30% tax credit. Suits of every variety. Everything, yeah. You, you have to wear many, many hats as a producer. And uh, it can be a thankless task. But in the end, if you have a good show and a hit show, then um, I guess what we're all about a little bit is money. And uh, if you have a good show, then, uh, then the money comes in. Well, the money is meant to finance, uh, obviously, your splendor. Uh, <laughs> and this house is splendid, by the way, beautiful. Uh, but also to finance the art to come. Yes, it's about sustaining it and and it is and paying the bills. It's not about just no, paying the bills. It is and and buying the occasional bottle of wine. Yeah, absolutely. Now, when when we had the fashion designer on the program a while ago, one of the things I was most fascinated to talk to her about was how she balances the art mm. and the business. Hmm. I, I want to ask you the same question, like what kind of difficulties do you find when you're trying to put together, say, a TV production uh, uh, that you want to make a living from yeah. while balancing you know, the creative vision at the same time? I, I, I know it's a game of trade-offs, but how do you do that? I, I, I think what you've got to do is just be committed to, uh, to the production, to, to what you want to try to achieve. It, it, the, the, the one thing about being TV, uh, in this day and age, TV production is a difficult Thing because you go to the big companies of the world like the Netflixes or like A&E or like in Canada CBC and um, they all have their own independent vision of what they want and many of them say uh, we don't know what we want until we see it so that as a producer that doesn't really help you so I think one has to commit oneself to a project and just actually just get out there and do it and we have the ability these days to do it very inexpensively I mean we can film on our iPhones for God's sakes we can edit on our computers for God's sakes um, you know we don't need to spend um, thousands of dollars getting something done and uh, I mean, if I were going to advise anybody that's listening about what to do, is just have a good story, get out there, and just shoot it and do it. But have the story. Writing, I think, is one of the most critical things of any TV production. Without good writing, you have nothing. And so you have to uh, either have the vision in your own head or be attached or yourself be a really good writer. And, and, and just create something. But the most important thing is just do it. I'm guessing if you don't have good writing, <clears throat> your production ends up being considerably more expensive as well because if you don't know yeah. what that vision is and then you're trying to plug holes in the script, yeah. while you're going along, you end up spending 
buckets of money you probably hadn't planned for originally. I, I think that's probably true. Yeah. I mean, when we watch stuff uh, these days, um, I mean, I, I think everybody that's listening can relate to good writing when they see something. You know, I, I mentioned The Crown earlier. Um, I just finished watching um, The Young Pope on um, HBO. I, I, I loved it and hated it. I know, and I think that's exactly what we were supposed to yeah. do. We were supposed to love it and hate it, and I think that's what good writing does. I mean, it, 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 if good writing was only about like, oh my God, this is a happy world this is, and this is all wonderful, then I don't know if that's good writing. He was a fascinatingly unlikable character. Absolutely, absolutely. And whether you're Catholic or not, I mean, he was the goddamn Pope, for God's sake. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> now, now, funny you should mention a while ago iPhone, because I wanted to I wanted to touch on that. I was in radio many years ago. Yeah. And one of the reasons why myself and my creative partner Colin started this podcast adventure, frankly, is because we could. <laughs> you know what I mean? The barriers to entry are are dropping significantly. Yes, very much so. Musicians can theoretically produce a broadcast quality album in their basement. Like you said, film students are shooting documentaries on their iPhones. A couple of old radio guys are doing a podcast about art. Go figure. <laughs> Tell me about how you see the lowering of the barriers to entry changing your business I, I think the lowering for better and worse the, the lowering of the barriers for entry I think are only a positive thing because I think it lets other people have access that couldn't have access before I see a lot of young people that uh, now are not struggling as hard to get something done and they don't have to walk into a boardroom and pitch some old wizened annoying broadcaster or oh, I hope there's nobody or I know listening or, to or, or Phil from mar <laughs> or Phil from marketing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, you know, like, well, you know, how are you going to match this with 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 our advertisers and everything like that? I, I think it is only positive. And from a TV producer's point of view, or web producer or whatever, it opens up doors for me because uh, I can look at stuff and say, "Hey, can we get that up?" Can, can we get that up on the web and, 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 and see what can come back and, and, and see what the reaction is? Because that's what's exciting. And so I, I believe that the barriers being, I wouldn't say they're lowered. I, it's just very, very different right now because of the fact, like what you're doing. I mean, this, we couldn't have done this uh, uh, even a few years ago. This is, it just doesn't happen. And people listen to podcasts and, uh, we all learn, hopefully, from podcasts, different things. So I, I think the lowering of the barrier, the access for future TV uh, developers and producers is absolutely fantastic. And I would encourage anybody out there who has any sort of an idea, even if it's... Like, think about what you know. Like Think about your family. Uh, does your mum, your dad, do they have interesting careers? Do you have an interesting career? Um, film it. Just get it out there. And these days, it doesn't have to be out there like in 23 and a half minutes, which was Rescue Mediums was, because 23 and a half minutes is TV speak for half an hour because you've got to put the commercials in. You can put something up on the web that is five minutes. Y-O-U-T-U-B-E dot C-O-M. Yeah, absolutely. Put it on YouTube. Absolutely. And it can be any length at all. Yeah. And then you start to maybe get a following, and then suddenly something happens. 
you know, maybe, or maybe not, but, but you're doing something. You're doing something creative, like writing a book. Television, to me today, mm -hmm. in, in 2018, and I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a TV aficionado, I love my TV, I, I think it's never been better, yep. and for that matter, never been worse, <clears throat> all at the same time. That's very interesting. <laughs> what are your thoughts on where you see the medium overall today, and, and, and where do you see it going? Well, I, I do think, and we've heard this a lot from people, uh, I do think it is the new golden age of television because I think that a lot of uh, things that are on TV are absolutely amazing but I think we must never lose sight of the fact that what we are now doing is binge watching um, for example Netflix uh, keep going back to Netflix yeah. or Amazon or Hulu um, there's no destination TV it, well that's not true there is sports. some Walking Dead sports yes of course because it's live yeah. and news um, but destination TV nowadays is about ordering a pizza, getting a beer, sitting in front of the TV for five hours and watching show after show after show after show after show. And we all do it, yeah. We all do it. We all do it. And then we wake up in the morning and go, what the, what the heck just happened? <laughs> you can say fuck on this podcast. <laughs> Within, again, young people might be listening, but if you need to say it, say it. It's well, early in the morning. Fuck is the uh, French word for seal, so that's not too bad, is it? I can say seal, and you wake up and you go, what the seal have I done? Exactly. Going back to the young pope, the holy seal. Well, that was the sea, the holy sea. Anyway. The holy sea. Which uh, seals swim in. <laughs> so it does make sense in some dark, convoluted If things way. don't work out in this TV thing, Mikey can always get into stand-up comedy. Absolutely. Except <laughs> I'm sitting down. Uh, yeah, binge watching is actually changing how I consume. Yeah, how I consume television. But what I'm also seeing is is, and again, you're much more qualified to speak to this than I am. Working in the industry for as long as you have, the 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 fact that there's different ways now for stories to be told. Stories are, are, are can be told episodically. They can yeah. be told, uh, 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 you know, in much greater length or greater detail. They can be 10 minutes long, they yeah. can be three hours long, Absolutely. because we're not tied to that 23 and a half minute sort of paradigm yep. anymore. Absolutely. That's one of the big changes, I'm guessing, in the art form. That, that I, I, I believe that that is a huge change, because we were limited um, with the shows that I've done, uh, very, very limited by the just the stricture and constrictions of the broadcaster, because at the four minute mark, you there has to be a commercial yeah. and then at the seven and a half minute mark there has to be a commercial um, and you've got to try to uh, try to figure a way to uh, uh, to not lose sight of your creative vision that's right and make it fit yep and you and that's where you do the intros and the outros and then you come back in after the commercial and you have to do the recaps you know as if people are which eats into your which eats yeah. into your precious time and, and I, I've never really liked the recaps because I, 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 I think as a viewer, not as a producer or anything, but as a viewer, when somebody reminds me what I've just seen, it's like, uh, no, I, I know that. You don't have to actually remind me because I saw that. Mm -hmm. And that I, I, I feel that cancels a lot of the creativity and makes it more practicum. And that, that, I think that could be annoying. Uh, one of the one of the other things uh, that I was really interested in 
reading about you when I was doing my prep for this little conversation today, Michael, mm -hmm. is uh, you've not just been behind the camera in your career. You've also done voiceover work yep. for numerous <clears throat> numerous productions. Yep. Uh, cartoons. I yep. remember Bob and Margaret. Who were you on Bob and Who were you? Well, it was funny. Being were you Margaret? No. <laughs> were you Bob? I was nearly every other male character except Bob. I played a outrageously gay sweater salesman. I played a construction worker. I played a, 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 a dentist from from South Africa that was Bob's friend. I remember yeah. him. I remember him. <laughs> so I, I played so many different characters, and it was so much fun. I mean, doing voice work is so much fun because you you don't have to worry about what you wear. And you don't have to learn any lines because they will you just read them. Well, you know this from radio, and um, it's 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 so much fun, and and I find it very very invigorating to do stuff. And doing kid shows is really fun because you can uh, sometimes push the edge of the envelope, and they let you ad lib a little bit, and um, which can be awkward. But also, it's just a lot of fun. Voiceover is a lot of fun. Well, talk about how that style of acting, because it is acting, it obviously. Is acting. It's not yeah. just reading off, a, <clears throat> no. reading off a teleprompter. Uh, t talk about how that style of acting, Mike, differs from the conventional stage and screen work that you've done. Is it easier? Is it harder? Ah, that's really interesting. Um, I love stage work, and uh, I, I'm not saying I don't find stage work difficult, but I, I love it. Um, film work... I also love, sounds so trite, um, it, uh, but in a different way than voice work because voice work, you go into the studio and uh, basically like this, the, the microphone's in front of you, you can either be alone or you can be with other actors interacting with them, but very often you're just alone and uh, you just have at it, you know. Uh, you just go at it, you know, like Macduff and Danby him who first cries hold enough and uh, you listen to the director and uh, the director in voice work will say, um, no, don't say it like this, say it like that and if you're an arrogant actor, you get all like uppity and go like, that's not how I want to do it, I want to do it like this <laughs> and, and then the, the director will say like, no, no, please don't do it like this, just say this and then you just say it and uh, then you leave after two or three hours and two weeks later a check shows up at your front door and you go like, oh, that was fun. <laughs> so I, I, I do enjoy voice work. All right, well, let me ask you this. Are they hiring? No. <laughs> I'll send you a tape. <laughs> I'll send you a tape. It's, it's a difficult business to get into. I remember when I first got into it, um, I, I, uh, I was mainly doing stage and, and, and TV. And then when you break into voice work, once, once you get in that loop, you're sort of... You're in, you're in the loop, yeah. Yeah, and it, it, it's so strange, and yet there are people that send demos and tapes like you just said and everything like that, and there are people that just go like, yeah, uh, anyway, no, I heard that, heard that, heard that, heard that, and, but when you're in, for some reason, people start to say like, well, get him to do that, because we... We know what we're getting. We know that he's not going to screw up in the studio. We know that he's going to be able to do this accent. We know that he's going to be able to say this. We know that he's not going to seal up, which, as it were. Which probably ties back into, <clears throat> again, advice for people starting out, which ties back into what you were talking about earlier about the barriers to entry being lowered. Yeah. Do a podcast. Yeah. Get, yeah. Your, get your voice out there. Get yes. your art out there. And... Yep. and 
then you have a track record. Absolutely. And, and, and a demo reel is one thing, but something that you're actually putting out there into the world as mm -hmm. art is a bit of a different animal, right? Yeah, it is. And like you say, Tim, to get your art out there, that, that's all you've got to do. Now, people don't have to like your art. I mean, you know, we've all been to, for, for example, art galleries and looked at a painting on the wall and said, like, well, what a piece of crap that is. And yet, you know, you find out later that it's a Van Gogh and it's worth like $400 billion. And you go like, mm, it's still a piece of crap. But just get your art out there. Just That's why I said earlier, just do it. Just don't be afraid. Just do it. Some people will hate what you've done. Some people will love what you've done, and some people will just feel that it's mediocre, but it's out there, and you've done it. And that, to me, for people starting out, is one of the most important things in the world, to just get out there and do it. Well, speaking of starting out, how did you start out? I'm guessing you <clears throat> just don't become a producer no. straight away. No, no. Talk about your journey. How did you, how did you start into this um, Well, I, I started out, uh, when I was growing up in England, I started out in amateur theater, um, community theater. I don't like to call it As amateur. every young English boy does. Yes, of course. Yeah. It's the theater or the football, right? Yeah, that's right. And I was terrible at sports. But, um, and, and uh, when I came, uh, when I uh, emigrated to uh, Canada, um, I went into business, weirdly enough. Um, but I still did uh, uh, community theater here in, uh, in, in, in the Toronto area. And, um, but I was in business. I was a national manager of uh, Canada Trust at one point with an office on the 14th floor of 320 Bay Street. You, one of the most interesting people I know, was an insurance salesman. No, I was in the real estate division. Oh, Lord. But I was in charge of... Um, That's almost as boring. It is. Okay. I was in charge of the uh, design of the offices. Um, it, it, it was... You uh, told people where to put the cubicles, did you? Yeah, yeah. You feeling much better now? Oh, God. <laughs> I, I, I don't mean to decry anybody that is in corporate life, but there is something about in corporations that it's certainly not demeaning, but I personally, I found it so tedious. Get to work at 8 o'clock. You know, make sure you've got a different suit on every day sit down, talk to people, have meetings with people about a meeting that you had the day before or about the same meeting and just let your bosses know what you're doing so that they can tell their bosses what they're doing and you just go, oh my God, when's lunch? And then what you do, or what I did, is um, you go out to lunch and uh, you make sure you take the company credit card with you and you come back like two hours later and go like, that was a good, okay, that now I can face the rest of the day. <laughs> it's kind of like the old, uh, the old analogy that uh, that my dad used to say about British automobiles. So if, you, if you ever buy a British automobile, yeah. Tim, make sure you buy one built in the morning, not in the afternoon, That's right? Absolutely yeah. true. <laughs> and if you're going to buy a British automobile, don't let it out in the rain. In the rain, because, because the, they don't the electrics are for shit, exactly. But then I left that, and I went and I got into a, a gig um, on a, at the, a place called the Bayview Playhouse uh, called Run For Your Wife. And I was in that show for two years. Um, and that was my sort of break and that was a pain into gig. the business. That was a pain gig. Oh, yeah, 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 very well paying gig. And out of that, I got a bunch of different TV uh, commercials. Uh, I've done over 300 commercials, I think, in my life. And, um, and that got me out 
uh, the corporation, and I always remember my senior vice president, <coughs> um, John Erickson, wonderful man, I haven't spoken to him in years, and uh, when I left, he said, uh, you're, uh, you're, you're going into acting, aren't you? You're, 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 you're not going to do this anymore. And I said, yes, John. And he said, if there's any way I can help you, I will. And I always uh, respected that. Um, but then, uh, when I was doing all this stuff on stage and film and crap like that, then I was, I was getting the bug, like, uh, why can't I make that? Like, I could make that. So then we started off doing this show called Sweet and Simple, which was about two people traveling around the world, one going first class and the other going uh, like non-first class. Non-first class. And as the producer, I was the one that steerage. went first class. Yes. They were going steerage. I didn't go steerage. <laughs> you went first class, didn't yeah. you? Well, we all went steerage <laughs> just to save money. But, uh, and I produced that and I thought, this, this is fun. Um, and then, like you said, I did a bunch of documentaries, which was fun. Now, documentary making is a very different art. Uh, first of all, you have to have full access and also don't expect to make too much money and expect to spend a lot of time making the doc work. But the reward of the documentary is that you're putting a real message out there and maybe it's not like complete art uh, as in scripted something, but it's like I'm getting a message out there that yeah. is important for people to see and hear. Well, tying back into Netflix for a moment, I just recently watched uh, Icarus. Oh, yeah. Which won the Oscar yes, for Best did. Documentary. Absolutely. And I think that's a perfect analogy because it, uh, it's, a, it's very analogous to what you said because it was this little documentary yeah. that started out about this guy wanting to uh, show how easy it would be to dope yeah. in cycling. Yep. And it devolves or, or evolves yeah. into this true geopolitical thriller involving Vladimir Putin of all Absolutely. People. But and you never know where that no. sort of art form is going to take you. No, right? you, you don't. And, and, and that's a really good example of, of, of somebody that has access. Uh, the documentary uh, producers had access to this person. Well, and he was there person, when, Yeah, he was there when the FBI got the call about, yeah. you know, you're going into witness protection because Putin is after you. Yep. Literally, that can you imagine what that would do to you, to your own heart? Like, and you're doing a documentary, and you know it's going to be out there for people to see, and it's like, oh my god! And especially in light of what's happened recently with the nerve gas um, in England, poisoning yeah. in England, it's just like, oh my god! And you're actually going to star in a star. You're actually going to be the main character in a documentary about something that is completely illegal, and you've got the guts to do it. I think that is the most commendable thing about documentary. That's why I love the documentary genre. I adore it. I, yeah, I will watch too. a documentary up the yin-yang. Me too. I just wish that they were more readily accessible to people. Yeah, I know. Yeah, like net, I mean, Netflix has a pretty good roster of documentaries, but there's documentaries from around the world that we don't see. Yeah. You know, like something out of Hungary or something out of Japan or something... And I don't know where we access them. As a producer, I don't know where we access them. And I would love to access some of them. Maybe that's a new, maybe that's a new business line for you, yeah, Michael. Maybe. Start licensing those things for Canada. <laughs> well, well, speaking of speaking of, of of moving along, what keeps you going? Oh. What is it about your art that keeps you getting up every day and and keeping at it? The hope that uh, the hope that I would make a difference the hope that I can do something 
for friends and family that um, that is important. I mean, I'd like to hire. I'd like to do some more drama, for example, and and, and or comedy, and, and and hire my acting friends. Um, just just to keep pushing. Like I said this a thousand times now. Just keep pushing the art out there. Just keep doing stuff. Because the other thing is, is what else am I going to do? Am I going to go back to Bay Street and put on my three-piece suit that probably doesn't really fit me anymore, or <laughs> and then just feel generally depressed? <laughs> No, I, I, I think you're answering your own question. <laughs> I there. think I am too. Yeah. I, 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 I think I just love this industry with all of its flaws, all of its faults, and all of its dangerous pieces. There's just something magical about it. And when you get something and you've completed it, it is magic. Mm -hmm. It's magic. It's like Disneyland. What advice would you offer up to someone starting out in the arts? I, I, I know we've touched on, yeah. on, on just push the push the art out there, but what have you learned uh, perhaps over and above that that you feel is worthy of, of sharing with the audience? Uh, what I would share is um, don't ever put up with the uh, with with the, the, the person saying no. Uh, if you're an actor and you're going out there and you're auditioning, um, remember that you are there to probably fill a gap that that director or that producer needs because that otherwise you wouldn't be auditioning. And just because you're not right for that role doesn't mean you're not right for anything else. No, it, it just you never give up and people say it's like hitting your head against a brick wall. Well, it is a little bit, but just keep banging your head against a brick wall. But I think that's also not just in the arts. I mean, I, I think of people like, uh, I don't know, like a, a real estate agent. You know, you're, you're, you're out there, you're trying to get somebody to list the house and 90% of the people are saying no. Uh, you're a financial advisor, you're out there and people are going like, no, 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 I, I, I don't want what you've got to offer. But 10% of the people will want you. So as an artist, you just keep going out there and you just put on that brave face and don't take it personally. Rejection is part of the game. What was that bit from Glengarry Glen Ross? ABC, always be closing? Yeah, that's right. It's that sort of scenario. Yeah, just, exactly keep, just play the numbers. Just, just do it. And eventually you'll close on a few things. And eventually that will be good. And just don't get too high and mighty. Just don't think of yourself as somebody brilliant. Just You already are brilliant. Whatever you're doing, you're brilliant. And if you're in the arts, you're brilliant. Because it's a difficult... Sealing life. It's very difficult. He almost said the F word again, by the way. His mouth was in the in, in the shape of the F word and he caught himself. <laughs> Michael, I think this has been a this has been a fabulous conversation. I want to thank you so much for opening up your home and, and your and your and your uh, and your mind to uh, uh, to talking to us today. It's greatly appreciated. I want to wish you all the best in, in your thank future you. endeavors. And uh, we'll have this up uh, very soon. You can check it out and spread the word. Well, and, I'm, and as I say, I'm looking forward to uh, listening to your other podcast because I think the podcast movement, you talk about art. I mean, podcasts are, people listen to podcasts left, right, and center now. The, 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 this, is, this is a real new, exciting, and variable art form that has to keep going. I agree. I agree. Michael Lamport, my friend. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thanks very much. Cheers, everybody out there. Cheers.
Thank you to our guest and our listeners for being here. I hope you enjoyed the show and were inspired to find your passion and pursue it or keep going if you already have. It can be a lonely road, but we'll travel it together.